Part Eight of the Exemplary Novels of Miguel de Cervantes Saavedra. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Bob Neufeld. The Exemplary Novels by Miguel de Cervantes Saavedra, translated by Walter K. Kelly. The Licentiate Vidriera, Part Two. Being one day shown the falconry, wherein were numerous falcons and other birds of similar kind, he remarked that the sport pursued by means of those birds was entirely suitable to great nobles, since the cost was as two thousand to one of the profit. What it pleased Rodaha to go forth into the city, the nobleman caused him to be attended by a servant, whose office it was to protect him from intrusion, and see that he was not molested by the boys of the place, by whom he was at once remarked. Indeed, but a few days had elapsed before he became known to the whole city, since he never failed to find a reply for all who questioned or consulted him. Among those of the former class there once came a student, who inquired if he were a poet, to which Rodaha replied, that up to the moment they had then arrived at, he had neither been so stupid nor so bold as to become a poet. "'I do not understand what you mean by so stupid or so bold, Signor Glasscase,' rejoined the student, to which Rodaha made answer. Not so, "'I am not so stupid as to be a bad poet, nor so bold as to think myself capable of being a good one.' The student then inquired in what estimation he held poets, to which he answered that he held the poets themselves in but little esteem, but as to their art, that he esteemed greatly. His hearer inquiring further what he meant by that, Rodaha said that among the innumerable poets, by courtesy so called, the number of good ones was so small as scarcely to count at all, and that, and that as the bad were not true poets, he would not admire them but that he admired and even reverenced greatly the art of poetry, which does in fact comprise every other in itself, since it avails itself of all things, and purifies and beautifies all things, bringing its own marvellous productions to light for the advantage, the delectation, and the wonder of the world, which it fills with its benefits. He added further, I know thoroughly to what extent and for what qualities we ought to estimate the good poet since I perfectly well remember those verses of Ovid, wherein he says, Cura ducum fuerunt olem regumque poetae, premiaque antique magni tuleri core, santaque mai maestas, et erat vulnerabile nomen vatibus, et largae sepe debantur opis. And still less do I forget the high quality of the poet, whom Plato calls the interpreters of the gods while Ovid says of them, Es Deus in nobis agitante calescimus illo. And again, At sacrevates et divum cura vocamur. These things are said of good poets, but as regards the bad ones, the gabbling pretenders, what can we say, save only that they are the idiocy and the arrogance of the world? Who is there that has not seen one of this sort when he was longing to bring forth some sonnet to the ears of his neighbours? How he goes round and round them, with, 
Will your worships excuse me if I read you a little sonnet which I made one night on a certain occasion? For it appears to me, although indeed it be worth nothing, to have yet a certain something, a je ne sais quoi of pretty and pleasing. Then shall he twist his lips, and arch his eyebrows, and make a thousand antics, diving into his pockets meanwhile, and bringing out half a hundred scraps of paper, greasy and torn, as if he had made a good million of sonnets. He then recites that which he proffered to the company, reading it in a chanting and affected voice. If, perchance, those who hear him, whether because of their knowledge or their ignorance, shall fail to commend him, he says, Either your worships have not listened to the verses, or I have not been able to read them properly, for indeed and in truth they deserve to be heard. And he begins, as before, to recite his poem with new gestures and varied pauses. Then to hear these poet-tasters censure and tear one another to pieces, and what shall I say of the thefts committed by these cubs and whelps of modern pretense on the grave and ancient masters of the art, or of their malevolent carpings at those excellent persons of their own day, in whom shines the true light of poetry, who, making a solace and recreation of their arduous labours, prove the divinity of their genius and the elevation of their thoughts to the despite and vexation of these ignorant pretenders, who presume to judge that of which they know nothing, and abhor the beauties which they are not able to comprehend. What will you have me esteem in the nullity which seeks to find place for itself under the canopy spread for others, in the ignorance which is ever leaning for support on another man's chair? Rodaha was once asked how it happened that poets are always poor, to which he replied, that if they were poor it was because they chose to be so since it was always in their power to be rich if they would only take advantages of the opportunities in their hands. For see how rich are the ladies, he added. Have they not all a very profusion of wealth in their possession? Is not their hair of gold, their brows of burnished silver, their eyes of the most precious jewels, their lips of coral, their throats of ivory and transparent crystal? Are not their tears liquid pearls? and where they plant the soles of their feet, do not jasmine and roses spring up at the moment, however rebellious and sterile the earth may previously have been? Then what is their breath but your amber, musk, and frankincense? Yet to whom do all these things belong, if not to the poets? They are, therefore, manifest signs and proofs of their great riches. In this manner he always spoke of bad poets. As to the good ones, he was loud in their praise, and exalted them above the horns of the moon. Being at San Francisco, he one day saw some very indifferent pictures by an incapable hand, whereupon he remarked that the good painters imitate nature, while the bad ones have the impertinence to daub her face. Having planted himself one day in front of the bookseller's shop with great care, to avoid being broken, he began to talk to the owner, and said, "'This trade would please me greatly, were it not for one fault that it has.' The bookseller inquiring what that might be, Rodaha replied, "'It is the tricks you play on the writers when you purchase the copyright of a book, and the sport you make of the author if, perchance, he desires to print at his own cost. 
for what is your method of proceeding instead of the one thousand five hundred copies which you agree to print for him you print three thousand and when the author supposes that you are selling his books you are but disposing of your own one of these men who carry sedan chairs once standing by while Radaha was enumerating the faults committed by various trades and occupations remarked to the latter of us senor doctor you can find nothing amiss to say nothing replied Radaha, except that you are made acquainted with more sins than are known to the confessor but with this difference that the confessor learns them to keep all secret but you to make them the public talk of the taverns a muleteer who heard this for all kinds of people were continually listening to him said aloud there is little or nothing you can say of us senor file for we are people of great worth and very useful servants to the commonwealth to which the man of glass replied the honour of the master exalts the honour of the servant you therefore who call those who hire your mules your masters see whom you serve and what honour you may borrow from them for your employers are some of the dirtiest rubbish that this earth endures once when i was not a man of glass i was travelling on a mule which i had hired and i counted in her master one hundred and twenty-one defects all capital ones and all enemies to the human kind all muleteers have a touch of the ruffian a spice of the thief and a dash of the mountebank if their masters as they call those they take on their mules be of the butter-mouthed kind they play more pranks with them than all the rogues of this city could perform in a year if they be strangers the muleteers rob them if students they malign them if monks they blaspheme them but if soldiers they tremble before them these men with the sailors the carters and the arrieros or pack-carriers lead a sort of life which is truly singular and belongs to themselves alone the carter passes the greater part of his days in a space not more than a yard and a half long for there cannot be much more between the yoke of his mules and the mouth of his cart he is singing for one half of his time and blaspheming the other and if he have to drag one of his heels out of a hole in the mire he is more aided as it might seem by two great oaths than by three strong mules the mariners are a pleasant people but little like those of the towns and they can speak no other language than that used in ships when the weather is fine they are very diligent but very idle when it is stormy during the tempest they order much and obey little their ship which is their mess-room is also their god and their pastime is the torment endured by sea-sick passengers as to the mule-carriers they are a race which has taken out a divorce from all sheets and has married the pack-saddle so diligent and careful are these excellent men that to save themselves from losing a day they will lose their souls their music is the tramp of the hoof their sauce is hunger their matins are an exchange of abuse and bad words their mass is to hear none at all while speaking thus rodaha stood at an apothecary's door and turning to the master of the shop he said your worship's occupation would be a most salutary one 
if it were not so great an enemy to your lamps. "'Wherein is my trade an enemy to my lamps?' asked the apothecary. "'In this way,' replied Rodaha, "'whenever other oils fail you, immediately you take that of the lamp, as being the one which most readily comes to hand. But there is indeed another fault in your trade, and one that would suffice to ruin the most accredited physician in the world.' Being asked what that was, he replied that an apothecary never ventured to confess, or would admit, that any drug was absent from his stock. And so, if he have not the medicine prescribed, he makes use of some other, which, in his opinion, has the same virtues and qualities. But as that is very seldom the case, the medicine, being badly compounded, produces an effect contrary to that expected by the physician. Rodaha was then asked what he thought of the physicians themselves, and he replied as follows. Honora medicum propter necessitatum, etenem creavit cum altissimus, adeo enem ist omnis medela, et a regi accepiet donationem, disciplina medici exaltavit caput ilius, et in conspectu magnatum collaudabitur. Altissimus de terra creavit medicinam, et via prudens non abhorrebit ilam. Thus, he added, speaketh the book of Ecclesiastes of medicine and good physicians, but of the bad ones we may safely affirm the very contrary, since there are no people more injurious to the commonwealth than they are. The judge may distort or delay the justice which he should render us, the lawyer may support an unjust demand, the merchant may help us to squander our estates, and, in a word, all those with whom we have to deal in common life may do us more or less injury. But to kill us without fear and standing quietly at his ease, unsheathing no other sword than that wrapped in the folds of a recipe, and without being subject to any danger of punishment, that can be done only by the physician. He alone can escape all fear of the discovery of his crimes, because at the moment of committing them he puts them under the earth. When I was a man of flesh, and not of glass, as I am now, I saw many things that might be adduced in support of what I have now said, but the relation of these I refer to some other time. A certain person asked him what he should do to avoid envying another, and Rodaha bade him go to sleep for said he while you sleep you will be the equal of him whom you envy it happened on a certain occasion that the criminal judge passed before the place where vadaha stood there was a great crowd of people and two alguazils attended the magistrate who was proceeding to his court when vadaha inquired his name being told he replied now i would lay a wager that this judge has vipers in his bosom pistols in his inkhorn, and flashes of lightning in his hands, to destroy all that shall come within his commission. I once had a friend who inflicted so exorbitant a sentence in respect to a criminal commission which he held, that it exceeded by many carats the amount of guilt incurred by the crime of the delinquents. I inquired of him wherefore he had uttered so cruel a sentence, and committed so manifest an injustice to which he replied that he intended to grant permission of appeal, 
and that in this way he left the field open for the lords of the council to show their mercy by moderating and reducing that too rigorous punishment to its due proportions but i told him that it would have been better still for him to have given such a sentence as would have rendered their labour unnecessary by which means he would also have merited and obtained the reputation of being a wise and exact judge among the number of those by whom rodaja as i have said was constantly surrounded was an acquaintance of his own who permitted himself to be saluted as senor doctor although thomas knew well that he had not taken even the degree of bachelor to him therefore he one day said take care gossip mine that you and your title do not meet with the fathers of the redemption for they will certainly take possession of your doctorship as being a creature unrighteously detained captive let us behave well to each other senor glasscase said the other since you know that i am a man of high and profound learning i know you rather to be a tantalus in the same replied rodaja for if learning reach high to you you are never able to plunge into its depths he was one day leaning against the stall of a tailor who was seated with his hands before him and to whom he said without doubt senor maizo you are in the way to salvation from what symptom do you judge me to be so senor doctor inquired the tailor from the fact that as you have nothing to do so you have nothing to lie about and may cease lying which is a great step of the shoemakers he said that not one of that trade ever performed his office badly seeing that if the shoe be too narrow and pinches the foot the shoemaker says in two hours it will be as wide as an alpergate or he declares it right that it should be narrow since the shoe of the gentleman must needs fit closely and if it be too wide he maintains that it still ought to be so for the ease of the foot and lest a man should have the gout seeing the waiting maid of an actress attending her mistress he said she was so much to be pitied who had to serve so many women and to say nothing of the men whom she also had to wait on and the bystanders requiring to know how the damsel who had but to serve one could be said to wait on so many he replied is she not the waiting-maid of a queen a nymph a goddess a scullery-maid and a shepherdess besides that she is also the servant of a page and a lackey for all these and many more are in the person of an actress some one asked rodaja who had been the happiest man in the world to which he answered nemo seeing that nemo novit patrem nemo sine cremine vivit nemo sue sorte contentus nemo ascendit in coelum etc etc of the fencing-masters he said that they were professors of an art which was never to be known when it was most wanted since they pretended to reduce to mathematical demonstrations which are infallible the angry thoughts and movements of a man's adversaries and one day he sighed a portuguese whose beard he knew to be dyed in dispute with a spaniard to whom he said i swear by the beard that i wear on my face Rodaja called out to him, Halt there, friend. You should not say that you wear on your face, but that you die on your face. To another, whose beard had been streaked by an imperfect dye, Dr. Glasscase said, Your beard is of the true dust-colored piebald. He related on another occasion that a certain damsel, 
discreetly conforming to the will of her parents, had agreed to marry an old man with a white beard, who, on the evening before his marriage was to take place, thought fit to have his beard dyed, and whereas he had taken it from the sight of his betrothed as white as snow, he presented it at the altar with a colour blacker than that of pitch. Seeing this, the damsel turned to her parents and requested them to give her the spouse they had promised, saying that she would have him and no other. They assured her that he whom she saw there was the person they had before shown her, and given her for her spouse, but she refused to believe it, maintaining that he whom her parents had given her was a grave person with a white beard, nor was she by any means to be persuaded that the dyed man before her was her betrothed, and the marriage was broken off. Towards Duenas he entertained as great a dislike as towards those who dyed their beards, uttering wonderful things respecting their falsehood and affectation, their tricks and pretenses, their simulated scruples, and their real wickedness, reproaching them with their fancied maladies of stomach, and the frequent giddiness with which they were afflicted in the head. Nay, even their mode of speaking was made the subject of his censure, and he declared that there were more turns in their speech than folds in their great togas and wide gowns. Finally, he declared them altogether useless, if not much worse. Being one day much tormented by a hornet which settled on his neck, he nevertheless refused to take it off, lest in seeking to catch the insect he should break himself, but he still complained woefully of the sting. Someone then remarked to him that it was scarcely to be supposed he would feel it much, since his whole person was of glass. But Rodaha replied that the hornet in question must needs be a slanderer, seeing that slanderers were of a race whose tongues were capable of penetrating bodies of bronze, to say nothing of glass. A monk, who was enormously fat, one day passed near where Rodaha was sitting, when one who stood by ironically remarked that the father was so reduced and consumptive as scarcely to be capable of walking. Offended by this, Rodaha exclaimed, Let none forget the words of Holy Scripture, Nolite tongere Christos meus, and becoming still more heated, he bade those around him reflect a little when they would see that of the many saints canonized and placed among the number of the blessed by the church within a few years in those parts, none had been called the Captain Don such a one, or the lawyer Don so-and-so, or the Count Marquis or Duke of such a place, but were all Brother Diego, Brother Jacinto, or Brother Raimundo, all monks and friars, proceeding, that is to say, from the monastic orders these he added are the orange trees of heaven whose fruits are placed on the table of god of evil speakers rodaha said that they were like the feathers of the eagles which gnaw wear away and reduce to nothing whatever feathers of other birds are mingled with them in beds or cushions how good soever those feathers may be concerning the keepers of gaming-houses he uttered wonders and many more than can here be repeated, commending highly the patience of a certain gamester who would remain all night playing and losing. Yea, though of choleric disposition by nature, he would never open his mouth to complain, although he was suffering the martyrdom of Barabbas, provided only his adversary did not cut the cards. 
at a word rodaja uttered so many sage remarks that had it not been for the cries he sent forth when any one approached near enough to touch him for his peculiar dress slight food strange matter of eating and sleeping in the air or buried in straw as we have related no one would have supposed but that he was one of the most acute persons in the world he remained more than two years in this condition but at the end of that time a monk of the order of st jerome who had extraordinary powers in the cure of lunacy nay who even made deaf and dumb people hear and speak in a certain manner this monk i say undertook the care and cure of rodaja being moved thereto by the charity of his disposition nor was it long before the lunatic was restored to his original state of judgment and understanding when the cure was effected the monk presented his patient with his previous dress of a doctor of laws exhorting him to return to his earlier mode of life and assuring him that he might now render himself as remarkable for the force of his intellect as he had before done for his singular folly thomas returned accordingly to his past pursuits but instead of calling himself rodaja as before he assumed the name of rueda he had scarcely appeared in the street before he was recognized by the boys but seeing him in a dress so different from that he had before worn and been known by they dared not cry after him or ask him questions but contented themselves with saying one to another is not this the madman dr glasscase it is certainly he and though he now looks so discreet he may be just as mad in his handsome dress as he was in that other let us ask him some questions and get rid of our doubts all this was heard by thomas who maintained silence but felt much confused and hurried along more hastily than he had been wont to do before he regained his senses the men at length made the same remarks as the boys and before he had arrived at the court he had a train of more than two hundred persons of all classes following him being more amply attended than the most popular professor of the university having gained the first court which is that of the entrance these people ended by surrounding him completely when perceiving that he was so crowded on as no longer to have the power of proceeding he finally raised his voice and said signores it is true that i am your dr glasscase but not he whom you formerly knew i am now dr rueda misfortunes such as not unfrequently happen in this world by the permission of heaven had deprived me of my senses but the mercy of god has restored them and by those things which you have heard me say when i was mad you may judge of what i shall say now that i am become sane i am a doctor in laws of the university of salamanca where i studied in much poverty but raised myself through all my degrees to that i now hold but my poverty may serve to assure you that i owe my rank to industry and not to favour i have come to this great sea of the court hoping to swim and get forward and gain the bread of my life but if you do not leave me i shall be more likely to sink and find my death for the love of god i entreat that you follow me no further since in doing so you persecute and injure me what you formerly inquired of me in the streets i beg you now to come and ask me at my house you shall see that the questions to which i before replied impromptu shall be more perfectly answered now that i shall take time to consider 
All listened to him, many left him as he desired, and he returned to his abode with a much smaller train. But it was every day the same. His exhortations availed nothing, and Thomas finally resolved to repair to Flanders, there to support himself by the strength of his arm, since he could no longer profit by that of his intellect. This resolution he executed accordingly, claiming as he departed, O oh, city and court, you by whom the expectations of the bold pretender are fulfilled, while the hopes of the modest laborer are destroyed, you who abundantly sustain the shameless buffoon, while the worthy sage is left to die of hunger, I bid you farewell. That said, he proceeded to Flanders, where he finished in arms the life which he might have rendered immortal by letters, and died in the company of his friend the Captain Don Diego, leaving behind him the reputation of a most valiant soldier and upright man. End of the Licentiate Vidriera Part 2